Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome to Homeschool Together. Thanks so much for joining us. We got a really good interview today, but before we begin, let's head down in the show notes. If you could leave us a review, check out all the links uh, to the show notes for the episode today. We brought back Elise Taylor that we had on. Yeah, uh, because she a, was fabulous. She was fabulous. So it was first year homeschooling journeys a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or month or so ago. And we brought her back because she actually has a long career in education. Uh, of early learners, so kindergartners and first graders, yeah. um, gifted children. Um, the, she was a teacher to the superstars, you know, the Hollywood the children st- of the stars. Children of the stars. So she's seen it all, and she has a wa- really wonderful perspective. And one of the things that personally that I've been very interested in is is learning to be a better educator. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of us are in the homeschool room, and we're trying to figure out, you know, what is the secret sauce? You know, what do I have to do to become a better educator? and a better teacher to my kids, and a better motivator, and all those great things. And it was really nice to have her sit down and kind of dispel a little bit of the myth that mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not as hard as it seems, but it's it's as hard, you know. <laughs> and that she gave us a lot of great, like, pointers and tips and tricks um, all throughout the interview. So it was really, really fun. I, I know I learned a lot, and I hopefully, when you're sitting there learning a lot, you can take it home with you into your homeschool and maybe, like, make some tweaks and changes um, to yeah. help better your educational experience and better the relationship between you and your children, I think is uh, is an important thing. So being a better educator and taking that into the classroom to make it more enjoyable, I think is going to make the homeschool classroom. Yeah, that's right. Make it an all around better experience um, for you and your students. So let's get into the interview with Elise. She was wonderful. Mm -hmm. This is Elise Taylor, expert teacher. (laughs) Hi, Elise. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming back for us. Oh, thanks for having me back. I'm excited. So we want to focus our interview today. We talked about your journey as a homeschooler so far, um, but we want to talk about the teaching aspect. So can you give us your your teaching and tutoring background for those of our listeners that didn't listen to the other episode? Yes. So I taught first grade for, I think, 11 years at a private school, and then I switched to kindergarten. And I also moved schools and taught kindergarten at a school for the highly gifted. And I was there for about one and a half years because then I went on maternity leave and just never came back. (laughs) (laughs) And then after, after having my daughter, I started tutoring and doing some like homeschool consulting for different families that would homeschool. And then they would hire me to to create curriculum and teach their children for like a couple hours a day. So I did that and I'm still tutoring part-time over zoom. And now I try to keep it to about um, maybe three or four hours a week tutoring. But right when the pandemic started, I was tutoring for maybe six hours a day. And it was just, I can't wow. anymore. It's too much. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. 
but it was it was good because then the film industry shut down then and so my husband was out of work for a little bit so then I was just all right tutor 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 (laughs) so so you've you've tutored both um, students in public private and homeschool students Um, do you think with your experience as a teacher that there are things that homeschooling parents miss as far as you know curriculum or instruction you know we're not trained teachers and that's always something that kind of nags in the back of my mind like uh, um you know somebody went to school for this they have all this training and all this experience and I'm trying to like quote unquote do it better um is how I feel in my in my head sometimes we're trained the wrong way like I don't know if you've been um paying attention to the science of reading and all the new reading research so the way I was trained to teach reading was with sight words and cueing and asking the child to guess like mm-hmm. say like some of those early reader books they're so horrible they're like you know like animals at the zoo and it's like I see a rhinoceros and you're supposed to like like no five-year-old reads rhinoceros like I can't even spell rhinoceros like why are they reading that yes I noticed this too yes. it's horrible or elephant and so I'll be like well get your mouth ready. Like, what's the first letter of the word? And the child would say like, oh, R. And I'm like, well, what's that a picture of? And they're like, rhinoceros. It's like, ooh, you just read the word rhinoceros. Like, no, they didn't. They looked at the picture and said rhinoceros. Like, that's not reading. And that's how we taught reading in first grade. Like, we did do some phonics too, but it was also like we taught our students to guess when they didn't have a word. And you're not going to be able to guess in the middle of reading a Stephen King novel. There's no pictures. There's no cues. And that's, you know, that's the end game. You want to be able to, you want them to read for fun and read these huge novels eventually. And just um, strategies like that are not going to help readers and not going to help students become readers. So do you think that maybe that gives homeschoolers like an advantage and oh, that we sure. can, yeah. you know, keep up with what's current? Exactly. And I, I think they're at an advantage sometimes for not having that teacher training and and not trying to make um, homeschool look like public school. Is that the homeschool reading curriculums are fantastic. All about reading is exactly what I would have wanted to have in my classroom. And like Kate Snow's math is exactly what I would have wanted to have in my classroom. And I feel like I'm a better teacher now by um, seeing all these homeschool resources. And I'm able to to use all those resources when I'm tutoring my students and getting better results than I did in a classroom. Do, do, do you have any idea why that might be like, you know, I mean, phonics has been around forever. You know, a lot of the, the math curriculums are fairly straightforward. Are they overthinking it or are they trying to find a solution in search of a problem that they're, that they might, they might be trying to do? Like, I don't understand why they keep, you know, changing things and what's yeah. the new it's like, what's the new hot stuff coming out of the, you know, the education <laughs> departments, you know? I think they realize that the whole world, the whole word reading, which is basically like more based on sight words, they're developing readers quickly, but then the readers don't actually have the, the knowledge and phonics to start sounding out words that are larger and that when they come across. So if it's not one of those, I don't know, 200 sight words, then they're just out of luck because then they don't have the phonic skills to use them. So I think they are starting to realize that. And now I think schools are incorporating science of reading more and more, at least they're starting to, because I'm in, I'm still in some like education groups on Facebook 
everyone's talking about the science of reading. That's a big buzzword now, which is great because there's actually phonics in the science of reading. So by all means to that. And then with math, we used um, Singapore math my last couple of years of teaching. Before that was everyday math, which I think worked better because everyday math, um, I think that was a spiral uh, curriculum and you would go back and review um, different things. So they were always getting practice, which is good for that age group. And then they also had games incorporated. And Singapore math I found had so much reading on the end of chapter assessments and just so much reading on the worksheets in general that some of the students would shut down because they couldn't read the problem. So even though it was a word problem that eventually was this, you know, three plus one was like the, the final formula you had to do. They were so scared of the problem because they couldn't read these like really long names of like, I don't know what it was like Roberta and the child couldn't read Roberta. So immediately she's like, oh, I can't do this math problem. And it was just so stressful giving those assessments. And I eventually would just have to go to every single student and, and we, would, we would read it out loud as a class, but then they would forget and I would just have to read every single problem. And it was just not very time efficient and the kids were in tears. It was just, I did. So now I'm like never using Singapore math in my homeschool, even though it's a great curriculum, I'm sure. And it's a good way of teaching math. It's, it has bad memories for me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about like all about reading would be like the kind of curriculum that you would have wanted to see. One of the, you know, you're, you're looking at this with like the eye of a, of a, of a teacher who knows the problems that you had with the way that math was taught and then the way or, or reading and the way that you'd like it to be taught. Sometimes I worry as a homeschool parent that I don't know what I don't know. Oh, like yes. when I look at this curriculum, I'm thinking, well, it's very well liked by other people, by other homeschool parents and gets good reviews on Kathy Duffy reviews. And so, <laughs> you know, but I feel like I don't have a, other things to base it on. I'm wondering if you. Yeah. She has the experience of having the throughput of like a hundred students, oh, 200 students. Right. And she knows what works and doesn't work. Yeah, like I, we I have a sample don't. size of one. Yeah. I don't know. What, That's a good point. Yeah. What are, what are some, maybe some clues or indicators when we're shopping for curriculum that maybe we're going down the right path? Cause I feel like we're just, Oh, that looks flashy and it's expensive. So <laughs> yeah. <be> good. <laughs> right. Oh, that's such a good question and such a difficult question. Hmm. That might be the part of the internal anxiety of, of a homeschooling parent uh, is, is you internally, you, you intrinsically know that I only got one shot with this and I've got to make the right decision and I've got to do it the right way. You know, not that yeah, you, analysis, you analysis. Like I have that too. Like it's embarrassing how much time I spent trying to decide between logic of English and all about reading. Like I probably <laughs> spent hours researching that and eventually I just went well, I kind of did both still because I got the, I purchased the logic of English game book and board games that they have, but then purchased the all about reading curriculum. So then I kind of like have both things because logic of English was a little overwhelming to me when I was reading all the, the samples. And I didn't really like the fact that they taught all the sounds at once. And I thought that was going to be a little bit confusing uh, to some of my students because I was not only shopping for my daughter, but also shopping for like all the students I have too. 
And so that was one of the reasons I leaned more towards all about reading because it was a little bit more straightforward. And I also love the readers they have. And I noticed that my students actually liked the all about reading readers and they liked the pictures, but I also use other, other resources too. Like I love them. The Osborne readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That first reading library. Very good. Yeah, because it has the, the page that the child can read. And then also that the parent reads it well. And that is my absolute biggest tip for teaching readers is to do something called shared reading no matter what you're doing, what book you're reading, have them read a page and you read a page. So then it, it keeps the pressure off of your student or your learner. And it, it makes it more of like a fun activity. Like for example, the elephant and piggy books. I do, I use those a lot with my students and I'll, I'll be piggy and they will be elephant and then we'll switch. So it ends up being more of like, we're putting on a play and, and just having fun being the different characters. And I'll do that a lot. So shared reading is probably my absolute biggest tip for teaching reading. You know, know, cueing in on the the issue of anxiety and shutting down and whatnot. um, Biggest, biggest question I, I, you know, personally for me is I have this everyday one-on-one time with my daughter and we're doing curriculum and we're learning about concepts and whatnot. And I just go into it and I try to follow along with what the, you know, the curriculum is helping me, you know, do. And then also I bring my own baggage of learning mistakes with, with me. Um, you as an educator, when you're sitting down with a student or you're doing a tutoring job or whatever, do you have a mindset that you have or a structure of thinking when you approach, you know, some type of concept and some type of learning, like, okay, we're going to have 30 minutes or 40 minutes here. And we're going to try and learn these five things or whatever it is. Do you have a, a mindset or a flow of, of doing that education? Yeah, my biggest mindset is how can I teach the student in a way that they're not going to get upset and they're not going to get stressed out? Because often if I'm called in to help, it's a subject that they're already worried about or it's already been um, ending in tears, like when the parents have tried to help them with math homework. So I'm really careful in, in making sure that it's not a stressful environment And I'm really like catering to their interests. So I'll find out before I even meet with the student, I'll ask their parents like what their interests are and like what TV shows they like or what activities they like to do. And then I'll find books that match their interests or um, even just if I know they like to play Mario, for example, and they're having trouble with punctuation. So then I'll, I'll make up little sentences that have to do with I'll write a sentence um, on the iPad with the Apple pencil, you know, like Mario rushed over to rescue Princess Peach and I'll make like capitalization errors on that. So then they'll have to correct that. But the fact that it's something they're interested in really like helps them. So that's, I'm just always trying to to make it fun and make it painless. And I do a lot of uh, graphic novels with my reading students because that way we can pick characters and we can make it fun and exciting. And I even had the student uh, tell me, um, I think it was just like two weeks ago, we're reading the babysitter's little sister graphic novels. And she's like, Elise, I just want to say, I am so excited about these books we're reading. And like at the end of our sessions, I just really want to know what happens next. And honestly, I thought these books were going to be boring to tell you the truth, but it's really not. I was like, oh, thank you. (laughs) 
So just, I'm just always trying to meet each student where they are and have fun with them. And if they're really not understanding um, a math concept, for example, I'll do the first problem of their homework for them. Like I'll just show them like all the different steps and then we'll do the next one together. And then I'll slowly help less and less until they're doing it fully by themselves. And then for the last two problems on the page, because these homeworks are crazy, crazy oh, yeah. long. And there's tons oh, yeah. of problems to do. So then for the last couple problems, I pretend to be like an alien, which is ridiculous, but I'll be like, I am new. What is this? <laughs> and then they have to like explain it to me. And I know it's ridiculous, but they have fun and it helps take the pressure off. And then they're explaining it to me. And, and I know that's when I know they understand because they, they can explain it to someone like they can pretend to be the teacher and I can pretend to be the student or, you know, ET or whatever I'm <laughs> doing. <laughs> so, so, so keeping it light and fun and, 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 you know, a good experience, um, switching the roles of teacher and student, um, helpful. What happens if, if it falls off the rails and you need to pull out your Jedi mind tricks to calm down the frustration? Like, do you, if you get into a situation where the learner is just shutting down and I, I've seen this with my daughter sometimes, yeah. Um, or it's you're even you might be getting frustrated maybe as a parent or as an educator, you know, is that the point where you abandon and you say, we're going to come back to this later, or are there some tricks and tips yeah, that you exactly. can do to you never want to have tears. I mean, if yeah. it's to that point where they're having tears, like I'll take a, if I'm tutoring, I'll take like a little like brain break and we'll, we'll just play a game together. Okay. And yeah. And the same thing with my daughter, we'll just totally stop what we're doing and just play a game or go play Barbies or something and come back to it. Cause I, and even when I was a teacher, I, we always told the parents, like my, the teaching partner I had, like, if, if there's tears with homework, like, let us know. And, and we'll just stop the homework and just bring it into school and we'll explain it to them. But my client, and I say that to my clients too. And they're like, Oh, well, our teachers don't say that do that. And I was like, well, okay. If there's tears, and you're having a math homework like crisis. And even if we're not scheduled that day, I mean, just text me, like I can hop on zoom. It's fine. And I can talk you guys through the math crisis. Cause I never want to see anyone stressed out and crying. Uh, that's very, that's good. That's good. But sometimes, you know, we're in that moment, we just can't get ourselves out of it. And I know I get stuck in that and like, no, just let's keep going. We can do this and, and whatnot. Um, do you, and do when you're when you're doing that educating are you looking at the body language are you looking at the eyes because we want to try and head it off before it gets to that point or you know are you looking for those cues while the kid is yeah, working definitely. okay all right that that's that's always something that I've I, I think I've that was some of the hardest stuff that I had to learn wasn't necessarily the you know the, the material that I was covering because you know it's basic you know phonics and math and stuff but it's really, it's the, the emotional aspect and understanding where the kid is. And sometimes they shut down too, because it's too easy. Like my daughter was doing this for like something like, um, I think it was like the mind vendors, like come find me, or it was like critical thinking company, like come find me, like which animal am I? I have like a long snout or whatever. It was something like super easy. And my daughter was just like, oh, I don't want to do this. 
blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, what's wrong? She's like, I want to do the harder games you do with tutoring. Like I want to do the next level. I was like, oh, so she was like completely shutting down because she like was insulted that I was asking her these questions. But it feels, it feels like a razor's edge that you're on sometimes. Sometimes it's like, oh, this is too hard or this is too easy. And you're just like, oh, I just pick one good because I could do um, exactly. So, so, so we've been talking about the one-on-one you as an educator in the classroom, you know, you were playing, you were in a severe man advantage, disadvantage the whole time you were playing zone defense uh, against 20 kids. Um, yeah. How do you manage all of that when you add just one more kid and maybe another kid? Because there's a lot of families out there are homeschooling two, three, four kids at a time. You know, how do you manage that um, as an educator? Or do you just grip, you just grip the reins, sort of like Ben Hur style, and you're just like hanging on to the chariot <laughs> yeah, as you're going around. <laughs> like, I've developed an incredible superpower to tune out all annoying sounds. <laughs> like, like my I, my daughter was doing something annoying, and my husband's like, "Oh my gosh! Like, why aren't you telling her to stop?" And I was like, "What? Like, I didn't even realize she was doing anything." And I was like, "Imagine having 22 kids all making that annoying sound while you're trying to like help one student <laughs> with like you know a worksheet." Yeah, teachers are really good at tuning out outside noises. And then they also have great patience too, which is helpful. Is there anything, you know, when you see the teachers like yourself, especially those early years, and even when you get up to the upper levels, they command the room. Is there anything that we can do to have a little bit more confidence in front of our children? Because sometimes it's almost like they, it's almost like they're like predators where they, they can smell the fear. And like, how do you have more confidence? Is it preparation? Is it just the repetitive nature that I've done this, you know, for 10 straight years? I mean, how can we as parents get a little bit more confidence in front of our learners? I feel like when we have the curriculum in front of us, that's when like our kids like really like pounce and like don't like it never goes well when I actually have the curriculum book in front of me. So I find like if I quickly read, like like, you're all about reading book is right there or you're teach teach your kid to read a hundred lessons and you're reading from the script. They can tell. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then it's like, Oh no, this is school. And like, you don't even know what you're doing. (laughs) So if I just, if I, I find that if, if I happen to come up with this, brilliant lesson in my head even if it's something that I read in all about reading like if I just like say hey let's do this or let's let's play this this crazy game where we try to like make 10 you know and I just if you pretend like you've come up with it on the spot then they're more likely to participate with you rather than like seeing you read the rules for race to 10 in the math book or something like that or addition war so if you just naturally play addition more with cards. I find that it's gone much better for me than when I pull out the math book and have like a stack of, of, um, math games on top of, of the dreaded book. Um, are, are you a big fan of the workbooks, worksheets, or are you more of like a, let's experience things and interact together? Obviously kids are all different, but yeah, we're more hands-on like with the, for example, we do, um, kindergarten math with confidence and there's probably like an 80 page worksheet. And I think we've done like 10 pages of it. And I just, I look ahead to see what questions are on the worksheet. And then I just casually will ask my daughter that question, like, but I'll make it like, if it's three plus five and they're supposed to just write the answer, I'll just casually like, you know, 15 minutes later be like, Oh, let's draw a picture or like using toys, like 
you know, if we made five cookies and our dog ate three, you know, like how many are left or, or how many in total did we bake? I'll just like casually ask her questions like that. And then if she knows it, she knows it. And I, I don't make her do the worksheet. And I do the same thing for reading comprehensions. Um, even with my students too, I never use reading comprehension workbooks because I feel like it, it sucks the joy out of the stories. So after we read a picture book or a chapter book or whatever we're doing, we'll do like a pretend game show and like, I'll ask them a question and like, you can even make up like crazy prizes, like for a round trip to, to Cabo, like answer this question, for a stack of potatoes, what's this going to be? And then, so I'll ask them a question, they'll answer it. And then I'll have them ask me a question based on the book. So like, you know, what was the name of the next door neighbor? And then I'll answer them and then I'll ask them a question. So then we just go back and forth. So it just feels more of a, a game and I'm still, you know, testing their reading comprehension, but they're not knowing it's a test. And so therefore they're not shutting down. And even if you have to give assessments for your homeschool, like based on what state you live in, I would do one of those, I think it's called homeschool boss. Maybe it's one of those computer programs. So completely separate the test from, from you, the parent. And so that way it's not like you're giving your child this like dreaded test and putting pressure on them. It's just, it's the computer's test, you know, we're just kind of, we're just seeing what, you know, and those tests are great because I guess there's some kind of algorithm where they change and it becomes more difficult or it becomes easier based on how your child's performing. Mm -hmm. So I would just completely separate yourself from all assessments and just do like fun quiz shows and just like buy a test on the computer if you have to. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We just, I just saw that with the, with the math mammoth, we, my daughter, you know, would do the work worksheets and everything, but she got really jazzed to have the test. Cause that was something she had to go off and do on her own. And it was, it was separate from me. She was actually excited yeah. to do it. You know, going, going with that idea of testing, you know, my biggest thing and this is something that I've been seeing and I've, you know, been struggling and Ariel and I talk about this a lot. And we've talked with some, some of the educators at our parent partnership about the idea of mastery. And for us, math is very easy, comes easy for her. So it's not too difficult for me to just kind of do a little bit of a looping uh, cycle on some concepts, but pretty much she just gets it. For me, yeah. it's the, it's the reading. And I think a lot of parents out there see the same issues around reading where there's there's a lack of mastery, you know, like, oh, you've learned all your sounds. Okay. Well, now there, here's the secondary sounds and the third and fourth order sounds for some of the vowels. And here's some letter pairs and here's the CVC words, but it just doesn't seem to click with like the early readers, or they're still just decoding everything because that's the easiest way to do it. Um, how do you, how do you drive home the idea of mastery? You know, and how do you know that you, the kid has mastered something? And reading just takes so long in general. That's, that's the thing. Like, I don't think like, like they learn to walk, they learn to talk, they learn yeah. to do all these other things. And we all think, oh, reading six months should be reading. You know? No big deal. <laughs> and it's been like two years. And I feel like I'm screwing up somewhere. This is no, that's completely, completely normal. Okay. And you start with like phonemic awareness where you do like rhyming games and things like that. And I made like a crazy big deal about rhyming. Like when my daughter was like two and three, we'll just casually like She'll mention something like, oh, and then the ring, the, the king had a ring. And I'm like, oh, ring and king rhyme. Oh my gosh, they <laughs> rhyme. And like every time she would say something, I would like, just like throw a parade because of word rhymes. <laughs> and like, it's so ridiculous, but 
rhyming is a hard skill for some kids to learn and like and it's really good to get it going early on so we've got rhyming in the bag <laughs> but, but yeah I would like it's just there's just so many different stages in reading where the pre-readers and then you have like your letters and sounds and um leapfrog letter factory is a great dvd for uh, teaching and enforcing letter sounds so i use that with my daughter and in terms of mastery like i mean i guess just playing different games we do with letter sounds and then hiding all the cbc words around the house and I, I do that to like break up the, the all about reading fluency sheets. And I find that like once, I mean, you just kind of know that they've mastered it once they stop, once they like it stops taking, you know, a minute per word, you know, it's just so painful when they sound that like ruh, at, and then they'll be like tab. And it's like, no, no you just sounded out rat. Like you literally said all the correct. Or, or, it's so happy. Or, or, they, the or they sound it out. They get it. They know it's rat. And then three letters later, three words later, it's rat again. And we're back to decoding. Yeah. And then doing it again. And then three letters, three words later, it's rat again. We haven't, we haven't learned that. It's well, so painful. It's it really is so painful. painful. It is. And it's more painful when it's your own child and when it's a student. And I'm like, yeah, there's been times I'm like, okay, you literally just said that word, but I'm like trying not to say anything. Or, or like but I yeah. carefully, I carefully underline the, the four instances of the word that you have just read. Now, which one do you think this one is? I, I don't know, dad. I'm going to have to go back to decoding. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> You're killing me, kid. You're killing me, kid. <laughs> oh, so true. It's such, yeah, it's a long journey. And and I feel like it's partly my fault because I haven't, we haven't done as much reading practice this year because, because it's been like that. And we should be doing it every day and then it would get easier. But it's, it's just so painful sometimes. And it's okay to, it's okay to back up and just read fun stories and get them excited about reading like that's okay if your child's five and and six and and and, you know then there's even late readers like at you know eight and nine and all of a sudden it'll click for them and they're okay too like it's just as long as you read good stories together like they're gonna be okay and they're gonna enjoy reading Just, just it's it's hard because like, you know, we, a lot of people we interview, we just seem to, oh yeah, they just kind of picked up reading. Oh, they started reading one day when they were four and uh, just happened, you know, and it's like. Everybody listening, whenever they say that Matt's eyes are just shaking. I get annoyed by those people too. Don't worry. You know, I'm like, I'm very happy for them, but it's really hard to hear that. It's, it's like, you know, all those people that say that they had just these flawless births with their kids. (laughs) And then I'm sitting here just like thinking about the traumatic births that I had and going just like, son of a gun, you know, like, (laughs) just like, I'm, I'm happy for you. And yet, (laughs) um, you know, that's, I, I like that we're talking about this experience, um, for those folks that aren't having an easy time of teaching reading and that it is taking a long time so that they're, they know that that's still perfectly normal. It's, I think teaching, I'm literally a reading teacher and it's painful (laughs) for me to teach reading to my own daughter. Well, I think the thing is you go through the process, you don't realize how much of a pain in the butt it was probably for your teachers and your parents. And I just, I appreciate the complexity of the act of reading now more than anything. Like when I read now, I actually, I have that in the back of my mind is that this is not an easy skill to learn because I'm, I'm doing it right now. But then I've got my younger one who's three, 
who's like, oh yeah, dad, those are sounds I know. And I'm like, God, man, where, where's, where's your sister in this one? Like, this is, this is crazy. This, I mean, but we don't so know different. that she's like, going to read easily. I don't know, but she's already starting to do letter sounds and letter recognition. And I'm just like, and man, she hasn't turned three. To us too. That happened to us at like three and four. She knew all our letters and letter sounds. And, and all of a sudden we've forgotten them now. So I don't know how that's happened. But. You know, and it's interesting when we were, our daughter was like four and a half. We had some friends that were kind of the same age. They started a reading program with their, their daughter, a dynamic learning, I think. And um, she was doing great with it and stuff. And our daughter wasn't ready yet. And then we were always like, oh man. And, you know, now the girls are, the girls are almost the same age and her daughter doesn't want to read just as much as ours doesn't want to read. Yeah. So even though they started early and initially her daughter had a, a greater velocity with her, you know, reading, they're kind of in the same boat too. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're not gifted or it doesn't mean they're not smart. Like people yeah. have so like competitive, like, Oh, well, my oh, kids reading at age four, they were <laughs> reading out of the womb. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> womb. he was doing, he was doing Morse code on my belly. So smart. Yeah. So smart. <laughs> Exactly. Like they can still be smart, but like not interested in schoolwork because they think it's boring, you know, and that's totally fine. So, so, so going, going with all that, you know, the, that's, that was all wonderful and everything. And then going into your experience, um, you know, we are talking about teaching kids and whatnot. Next thing, that logical thing that happens in, with your experience being in the classroom and your, and your, and your colleagues in their classroom is the idea of, am I doing enough? You know, one of the big things that people are, are fearful of is that they sit down, I do my math lesson. My kid does a great job, does the reading lesson. Great. Reread some books. We do a little bit of science and, and I look at the clock and it's been two and a half hours and, you know, it's not even noon. And these other kids on the street are sitting in school for another six hours. What, what am I doing enough is the biggest question. Yeah, totally doing enough. And yeah. yes, it's, stop after two hours by all means just go have fun because <laughs> you know school there's so much busy work at school like if they finish their lesson like uh quick gosh what, what do I give you to do like oh here here's this old coloring page I found in like the back of my desk like here, here go do that <laughs> I mean, seriously it's stuff like that because we still have other students who like aren't understanding and are taking a long time and then we'll have like early finishers who just rush around and then yeah it's just like there's some students that'll take like an hour to just do one handwriting without tears, you know, she, and it's like, all right, come on, like you can do it. And then there's other kids who've like art, who have like zoomed through the whole thing. And then we have to find something for them to do. Yeah. And at school, we have to manage, you know, 20 different students. And we have the advantage as homeschoolers that we can tailor the lesson like to one child or maybe, you know, three or four children. And even that's more manageable than 22. And so, yeah. of course, you can get things done in two hours. There's only one kid to worry about. And there's no, like, you know, distractions or <laughs> like, you know, one kid throws up on the floor and then you'll have to go into the library. <laughs> True story. Like the room smelled so bad that we had to like leave and go into the library. <laughs> like, you know, stuff happens. <laughs> I'm really curious from your classroom experience, how much of your day was spent doing math and reading versus some of the other you know, science and social studies and art. And was it, it seems to be very math and reading only focused. Yeah. And I just the entire first half of the day is math and reading. And like, we did do like a, a read aloud, which I, I love. And I feel like that was the most important part of the day is like, we got the whole group together and read a storybook. Um, but yeah, the whole, they break into reading groups and like, I would 
work on phonics with different groups and the other teacher in the room because there's two teachers would do guided reading or sometimes we would switch and then with the math we also had um, it broken down into two math groups which was like a slightly more advanced math group and then the more like um, grade appropriate math group and we would be uh, taking turns teaching each one of those and then and then it would be lunchtime and then it would be recess and then they would go to PE and then they would come back. And I think we only had one or two hours where we would do science and like go to electives and things like that. So it was mostly just reading and math. But we, I was very fortunate that private school, they did have electives. And I don't think public school has art and science and computers and music. And I think sadly, all that's being cut with funding issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from our research, it seems like they do like 40 minutes or so of like a specials every day and that rotates if they got their reading and math done. Yeah. And if they didn't, then that stuff starts getting cut. So we were curious, though, it, it, it does seem like we're able to move so much quicker that you do feel like, wait a minute, that's that's it. That's all. <laughs> that's all we have to do today. Short and sweet. I mean, that's perfect. And then you have time to like do little field trips and be involved in extracurriculars and like do art and yeah. I mean, whatever you guys want to do. <laughs> so we talked a lot about reading and, and the length it takes and, and a lot of the challenges around that. Um, do you have any advice for parents who are um, working with math and maybe a student who is struggling with math? Yeah. My same advice goes for reading too, is this, take a breather. Like if mm -hmm. ever your learner's ending in tears, I mean, stop the lesson. And, and I would even like try to go about the lesson in a completely different way. Um, let's see if I can think of an example for that. Like if it's a big worksheet full of uh, simple addition or subtraction problems, like find a game. Um, there's a great game that I don't really see talked about a lot in the game schooling Facebook groups, and it's called sequence dice. Um, do you know the game sequence? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have several versions of it, but I didn't know there was a dice version. Yeah. Neither did I until this a couple months ago when I didn't want to make my daughter do this big worksheet of like three plus four, seven <laughs> minus three, you know, like stuff like that. Cause I knew, I knew that wouldn't go over very well. So with sequence dice, it's this brilliant game because it also practices 10 facts too, but you roll the dice and say you rolled um, three plus four. So then you would cover up one of the sevens on the board and it's like kind of a mini board and then if you roll um one of those like 10 pairs like either like six plus four or seven plus three like tens were wild i think 10 was wild it's either 10 or 12 that's wild cool. like so one's wild and then ones you get to remove your opponent's chips so that that game you're practicing the make 10 facts which is so important that's probably like like if you do nothing in kindergarten but those make 10 facts like you have a good year because I find in a lot of students, even second and third graders that I work with, don't know the make ten facts, and it makes everything so much difficult, so much harder. Yeah, it does. So yeah, yeah sequence yeah. dice is a fantastic game for that. And then some mm. swamp is a good game yeah, to avoid seats, which is a it's a classic homeschool game. Yeah, we love some swamp. Yeah, and sleeping queens is fantastic. And same with rat attack cat for early edition. So I I just like yeah if, if if you see someone's shutting down, like one of your learners shutting down, just, you know, rip up the worksheets and get out a game and just approach it completely different. 
And same with like fractions, like start cooking and baking. I mean, there's so much math involved with baking and it's fun and you get, you get to eat stuff. So, I mean, it makes it way more fun than doing the worksheet. <laughs> yeah. My daughter's been really into dominoes lately and she does the, we do the cumulative scoring. So whatever the the face value of all the, the dominoes yeah. that are left and she has to add them. And so she's, you know, practicing her carrying the one. And, and then I, I, I do it in reverse where we go from hundred to zero and then she's got to do her subtraction. And she doesn't even think of it as math. I, we've done enough of it where she's starting to look at me going, dad, am I practicing math when I'm doing this? I go, no, sweetie, no, you're not. Life is math, <laughs> child. Life is no, math. No, just keep doing it. This we, isn't keep school. Doing this is not school. This, this is, is just not school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like Zootron the Loose, do you know that game? I use that a lot in tutoring and I would print out a hundreds chart mm-hmm. and then to like help, we would use markers to help keep track of what numbers we were up to. So then we didn't have to do everything mentally. That's a good idea. Yeah, we have Zeus on the Loose, but we haven't thought about that. Some of these games, it's funny because we've played them as a couple and now we're like, oh yeah, we should probably pull that out, and leverage that. <laughs> <laughs> One last question, and then maybe a, a parting, a parting idea. I'm at the end. Is you know, there's some parents out there who get the Matt Booza patented head shake, and when they say their kids are gifted and they're already doing math and and reading at, at two and three years old, well, what can a parent do to, you know, when they to see that, and maybe you know, what are the things that maybe you as a, an advice as a teacher who's I think I believe you've taught gifted children as well. Um, you know, what do they need to do that's a little bit outside the norm that the rest of us have to do? Um, I would say to get those like single play logic games, because a lot of time in the gifted population, if something is not coming easy to a child, they'll get really frustrated and they'll shut down. So those are great. Those games, which get really difficult, are a great way to build perseverance. And there's some of those Oh gosh, I was doing Beast Academy with one of my students and there's these puzzle games. I think it was called Ice Pucks and it was so hard. I literally had no idea what to do on this one challenge. And I was starting to get embarrassed because I was like, oh man, here I am. They hired, you know, a gifted tutor and I can't even do this puzzle, but I went with it. I was like, this is really hard for me. Like I'm having a hard time figuring this out, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to take a deep breath and like try it again. And, and eventually we, we got the answer. So thank goodness, right? <laughs> Otherwise, really would have been embarrassing, but it's a great learning opportunity because like, yeah, this is, this is hard. And it's even hard for me sometimes. Like I can't possibly know the answer to every single puzzle in Beast Academy or every single puzzle in Canoodle <laughs> you know, or whatever yeah. we're doing. So that's a great, um, it's a great uh, learning lesson. And then for gifted children, I would really urge parents to check out um, Colleen Kessler's um, resources. Uh, she has a podcast called Raising Lifelong Learners and also a website. And oh my gosh, I have just found her blog post and her podcast so helpful because okay. she doesn't just talk about academics. She'll talk about some of the emotional challenges for gifted learners and like the overexcited abilities and just comes at it for all all different perspectives and she's real and she'll tell you the troubles like that she had with her kids. And she also has um, a whole like community online called the learners lab, which I'm a member of. And my daughter loves it because they can, they have like little like lessons each month and you can like do activities and get badges and they have um, zoom meetups once a month with other kids. And then also they have 
the same thing for parents. So it's a community where like parents can talk to each other and ask questions in a safe environment. And so I would really recommend her resources if, if you have an inkling that your child is gifted. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll go yeah. ahead and put, the, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, and not so much like just because they score high on a test, like doesn't mean you have to cram them with academics, like let them explore their interests and, and they can still be gifted and be, you know, into musical theater instead of math, you know, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think this has been wonderful. Yeah, this has been helpful insight, just to talk yeah. with somebody who's, who's actually a teacher and we, we kind of are faking our way through being teachers every day. Um, and sometimes with great success and, and sometimes I, not so great success. I, I'm going to fake it until I make it. That's right. Well, you, know. you guys are faking it wonderfully because I love listening to your podcast. And I've been I've been watching your YouTube videos when I'm up late at night, not sleeping with the baby. And you know they've been a lot of fun. So I think you guys are doing a fantastic job. So don't talk yourself out of anything. Oh, so you're that person listen, watching at two in the morning. I, I, I see the <laughs> metrics on YouTube. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> Exactly. It got me through like one night of like just full on pregnancy insomnia when I was like trying to to plan our China study of like, ah, these guys have done it. Let me see what they did. And then that's how I got found out about you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We appreciate all your insights. And this, this gives us a lot to think about. Sometimes it's just nice to hear the things that maybe I knew in my heart, but didn't want my, that my head wasn't ready to like accept that it's, you know, we're doing okay. So to our listeners out there, you're doing okay too. You're doing amazing. <laughs> Don't doubt yourself. Like you're giving your kids the most incredible gift you can give them by you know, teaching them at home and following their interests and just being with them. Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy homeschooling!